Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. My name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor, and if we hadn't had a chance to meet yet, I would love to have that opportunity. I'll be out in the commons, and you can uh, meet with me and find out how I can uh, support and encourage and pray for you. If you're joining us online, thank you. And if again, if you're new and we haven't met, um, you can write in the comments or uh, click on the prayer uh, button and uh, mention that you would love to connect. I'll reach out to you and uh, we'll figure out a way that we can do that. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's a beautiful Labor Day weekend, is it not? Man, it's been wonderful, and today is gorgeous, so thankful for that. You know, it's interesting, I'm looking, really, I'm looking forward to September 19th for that Back to Church Sunday, uh, and just really the fall. You know, things kind of, you know, kick back into high gear, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And then the summer, it's been, you know, I've heard it and I've read it, people are calling the summer the summer of revenge. Have you heard this? Getting back on what they couldn't do last summer and uh, to, to, you know, find ways for us to reconnect this fall. I'm excited about that. Um, anyways, we um, are in a series called The Three-Legged Stool. And before I tap into that and uh, talk about what we're going to dive into this week, two important family items I want to bring up. Um, over the last handful of weeks, we've had two amazing uh, individuals, people of our church family who passed away, um, Truman and Artis. And I, I, if you knew them, um, uh, you, you know how wonderful each of them were. Uh, if you didn't, just know that our church is better uh, because of them. Uh, but I wanted to give you some details if you desire to be a part of the, uh, the visitation and the funerals. On September 25th, is uh, Truman's funeral, September 25th. It's here at the church. 2 p.m. is the visitation. 3 p.m. is the funeral. And then on September 9th, uh, so this week, um, artist uh, Kettleson, uh, her visitation will be at 10 a.m. and her funeral will be at 11. So if you would like to, to come to either of those, you're certainly welcome. So three-legged stool. Last week, we talked about uh, what, it, what it means uh, in regards to our mission here at North Haven. What is that? Um, how are we committed to it? So let's look at this mission statement together. Uh, this mission statement, you'd find this on the website, you'd find this in our Constitution and Bylaws. Uh, the mission of North Haven Church is as follows. We connect, we at North Haven, connect at a deeper level to Christ by intentionally pursuing a growing relationship with Him, and to each other by purposely building loving relationships, and to our community by actively working together to introduce families to Christ. So that's our mission statement. That, that's uh, who we are and why we do what we do. So there's three legs to that stool. So if we're thinking, uh, if we, you know, all that we uh, attempt to set upon um, North Haven, uh, it's held up by these three legs. We desire to connect to Christ, connect to each other, and connect to our community. Desire to connect to Christ, connect to each other, and connect to our community. Those are the three legs of our stool. So last week, we looked at the first leg, connect to Christ, and I freely admitted that uh, there is no way that even in my lifetime I could be able to unveil to you the full gamut of what it means to connect to Christ. 
There is so much. Discipleship, by the way, is not the process where you arrive at some sort of destination. It is a committed, uh, uh, intentional life of growing in the Lord, always growing, never stopping, right? So we could, we could spend the next 40 years talking about what it means to connect to Christ. All we did last week was just touch the tip of the iceberg, and that's what we're going to do here today. When we talk about connecting to each other, what are we referring to? What does that look like? How does that flesh out? How do we connect with each other? Why is it important that we connect to each other? When we do connect to each other, what are the results? And when I say connecting to each other, I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about our church family, those that are committed to that mission, not only connecting with Christ, but connecting to each other, connecting to our community. That's the each other that we're referring to. So Paul, many of you know who Paul is. Paul is a big figure in the New Testament, wrote um, a bunch of the books in the New Testament. Well, really what he wrote were letters, letters to specific churches in the New Testament. And one of the letters that he wrote that we now have in our Bibles is uh, the letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus, which is then called Ephesians. And we're going to look specifically at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 4. If you don't, there's some physical Bibles in front of you, or else you can look on your, uh, your phone, or else you can just look at the screen. Um, but Ephesians chapter 4, he, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and we're specifically going to be looking at a handful of verses from this chapter that begin to paint a picture. Again, just touch the tip of the iceberg as to what it means to connect to each other. So here we go um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is, this is what Paul writes. As a prisoner for the Lord, then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we can keep these verses on the screen because I just want to take just a moment and, and look at several aspects of these verses. So the first thing here. I I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's interesting that Paul would mention this. So what is preeminent in in that sentence? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is what is the subject of that sentence? You didn't know you're having an English class today, did you? The calling is the subject. The calling is the focus there, and we are to rise to the calling. That's significant. It means our lives are not wrapped around our wants and desires. Rather, it's something more significant. And then Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be completely. Have, that's your makeup. That is who you, who you are. You've, you've adapted and assimilate that, assimilated that so much into your life that everything you do oozes humbleness and gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We live in a microwave society. 
And what I mean by that, have you ever seen, I've mentioned this before, have you ever seen the back of a Pop-Tart box? There's toaster instructions, which, again, why is there toaster instructions? But then, even more crazy, there are microwave instructions. Do you know how long it takes to microwave a Pop-Tart according to? Three seconds. Three seconds. If you need to microwave a Pop-Tart for three seconds, let's chat after the service, all right? We live in a microwave society. We expect things immediately. That's our instinct. Because of sin, we have this immediate expectation for all things in our lives. But God doesn't work in the immediate. You know, when, when we look at the Word of God and we thumb through its pages, we get this illusion that these are days. But these are hundreds of years just, just even a few pages in the Old Testament can, can span the width of 100, 200, 300 years. Isn't that crazy? God doesn't work in our time, all right? God works in his time, which is no time. Being patient, bearing with one another in love, the church is made up of a bunch of people, and because the church is made up of a bunch of people, the church is flawed, because people are flawed. We have to accept that. We aspire to pursue righteousness and pursue the glory of God, but we have to understand we're we're interacting. Church is done in relationship, and relationships are messy, and so the church can get messy. It can get hard and get difficult, but it's also beautiful. We need to bear with one another in love and then make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is Paul saying here? It, does it come natural for us to be unified? Is it, that just a natural result? Yes or no? No. So the only way that we can be unified is to make every effort. So 20 plus years ago, we lived, this is an understatement, but we lived in a much different reality than we do today. Uh, 20 plus years ago, obviously many things were different, but one significant way in which life was different 20 plus years ago than it is uh, today is one that we really take for granted. I want to kind of unpack it for you. So 20 plus years ago, uh, people had platforms. People had platforms, and and they they either uh, took advantage of those platforms or they used them uh, with great respect, Um, but People had platforms, just like people have platforms today, but the difference was is that uh, people having platforms 20-plus years ago was a rarity. It wasn't common. So people having the ability to have influence in the lives of others. People, uh, you know, 20-plus years ago, even 20 years ago, there was the Internet, but uh, just because there was the Internet didn't mean that, that everybody had a platform. If, if you maybe had a blog, or maybe you were a politician, and, or maybe you were a pastor, maybe um, you were a prominent member of your neighborhood or your community. Um, but here's the deal. 20-plus years ago, yes, people had platforms like they do today, but it was rare. Not everybody did. 
And because it was rare, because not everybody had a platform, it was obvious to everybody else who was on a platform and who wasn't. Now, just because somebody had a platform doesn't mean that they honored that platform. It doesn't mean that they treated it well. There are countless examples, unfortunately, throughout history, even recent history, where people have used their platforms inappropriately and brought harm to others, right? Well, that wasn't God's original design. All throughout Scripture, we see God placing specific people on platforms with the ability to inspire and to influence others, and these people have done that to glorify God. See, that is God's original intent. Even for those that don't know God, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, all all throughout history, um, even if they haven't used the platform that they've had to glorify God, it doesn't take away for the reason that platform exists. The reason that any platform exists is to glorify God. It's to elevate Him, to put Him above everyone else and everything else. But I digress. So platforms existed 20 plus years ago, but it was rare, and people who stood on those platforms, uh, they, they, did, they did so understanding that there was great privilege Again, whether they abused that platform or not, it was a privilege. And when somebody used that platform inappropriately, it was then obvious to everybody, right? Because platforms were rare. You see, the way that, that life looked 20 plus years ago is, is like this. And, and forgive me, I'm using these really creepy nutcrackers, but we'll get through it together. So imagine this represents 20 plus years ago where platforms were rare. And when someone stood on a platform, like I said, it was obvious to everybody around them. You know, they stood above. They could be heard or witnessed more so than many others. And the people that that were obvious as to this individual's uh, platform, they could decide, do I, do I follow this person? Do I listen to that person or do I ignore? But there was no ignoring that that person was on a platform. It was obvious. And as I mentioned, it came with great responsibility. I should be able to push that down. It came with great responsibility. And people abuse that responsibility, and if they abuse it, it was obvious then to everybody else. But then something shifted. Something shifted 20 years ago, and a very specific thing came into the landscape. Anybody want to take a guess as to what that was? What was that? Social media. Namely, Facebook. I remember when my life drastically changed. At one time, Facebook was just me and my friends, and then my mom joined. <laughs> and then I knew, I knew this is something completely different. <laughs> Facebook came into the picture. Social media came into the picture. And then you know what happened? Then everybody started building their own platforms, just one after another. 
People started standing on their own platforms. Having the ability and the, uh, the means to be able to share anything in any way with anyone. So everybody began to stand on these platforms, but then, but then you, you understand and you see what's happened. Is that those platforms that everybody's standing on are no longer platforms. Why? Because the floor has just essentially gone up two feet. I want you to imagine that you're in a room with 25 other people. Let's say it's just a, a kind of a regular living room, uh, and everybody's standing about in that room. And one person out of the 25 stands on a platform. It's obvious, right, to everybody in the room that they're on this platform. And regardless of what they're saying or what they're wanting everybody to do or not do, uh, you, you can't ignore that, that one person is in that platform or on that platform amongst uh, 24 others. But then with the onset of social media, what's happened is that that platform has now been raised for every single person. And so that room basically, rather than than a platform really being a thing, the floor has just gone up two feet. So everybody's back on the same level. But, But everybody believes in that room that they have a platform. Everybody believes they have a platform, and so everybody's sharing from their platform. But really, what is it that everybody's experiencing? Just a bunch of noise. You see, what, what was before, when, when everybody, when the majority of people weren't on a platform and there was one person who was, when before it was seen as a privilege to be on a platform is now misconceived as a right. Now everybody believes they have a right to a platform that was really meant to be a privilege, meant to be handled with great care. And now the floor's just gone up two feet Everybody thinks they're on a platform, but everybody's just standing on the ground. And so, when 20 plus years ago, the only way that, I shouldn't say the only way, but the majority, the the primary way that an individual was to inspire and influence others was to be on a platform, to treat that platform with great care, to glorify God, now we're in a much different situation because what's the only way now to make an impact. What's the only way now, in light of this context, to influence and inspire others? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul mentions this. This is what he says. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, the long view, bearing one another in love. In today's world, the only way that you can make an impact, the only way that you can influence others around you is to get rid of your platform. It's to dig a hole and step down a couple feet. That's now the only way that you can set yourself apart. To assume a posture of humbleness, of patience, of forbearance, rather than a position of being on a platform. 
But what's interesting now about this environment, this context, imagine again you're in that room of 25 people. One person was on a platform, and now everybody's on that same platform, and so everybody's essentially standing on the ground. Everybody thinks they have a platform, and so they're just talking over one another. It's just noise and chaos. But then one person decides to dig a hole in the, in the, in the ground and to go down two feet. Who are the only people that notice Who are the only people that notice? The ones closest to them. You see, before, when, when one person stood on a platform amongst others, you could make a grand impact. You could make a grand influence around a multitude of people where now in our society, even though that exists, it is the minority, the primary way now that we can make an impact, that we can influence others, is to be humble and patient and to dig down and to step down from our platform. But when we do so, it's only obvious to the ones who are closest to us. And so the only people that we can influence and inspire, the primary people that we can influence and inspire are the ones that are closest to us, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, the people that are in our circle. And that requires relationship. It requires connection to one another. It is a patient humble approach. But what's really cool about, about this, and, and, and I want to make something clear here. I'm not, I'm not standing up here and saying that you should ban Facebook. What I am saying is that, is that if you aren't using, and again, I'm going to say this, your make-believe platform, if you aren't using it to glorify God, by honoring others and by honoring him, then you aren't using it well. But yet, if you, if you take a humble approach and you understand the need to, to humble oneself and to be patient and, and to bear one another in love, if you do that, it's going to have a chain reaction. It's going to have a chain reaction, and then something really cool and amazing happens because you've given up your platform. It'll inspire and influence those closest to you to pursue humbleness and give up their platform. They will understand and commit with you being patient, bearing with one another in love, and then before you know it, the platforms have built up and have increased God's presence, not only in your life, but in the church. That's how it is that we connect to each other. We give up this, this idea, this myth of a platform. We humble ourselves we desire and then intentionally live out a life in which our actions and our words and our deeds are honoring to God and honoring to others, 
and we bear one another in love, and we understand that our influence and inspiration is going to happen at its greatest with those that are closest to us. And we set off a chain of events that then causes the church to respond and then to exist where all focus and glory is given to the one who truly deserves to be on the platform, and that's God himself. That's how we connect to each other. With that in mind, I, I, I want to share a few items here with you today in light of this because um, someone that I feel has exemplified this persona in their life and in their ministry is Karen Dreyer. Uh, Karen, for those of you who know her, and that's many of you, she's been the bookkeeper here uh, for 18 years. 18 years, and um, she's been attending here for... How long? A long time. Sorry, shouldn't have done that for a long time. Uh, but uh, Karen's uh, heart and service uh, commitment uh, to all of you um, is, is uh, something that many of us have come to love and appreciate um, and want to honor. So she's going to be retiring after 18 years. Uh, she's going to be retiring, and we're going to have a time this next Sunday to honor her. And so during both services, we're going to bring Karen and her husband Steve up to the stage. We're going to just take a few moments and lavish on them. Um, and then we're also going to give you each um, encouragement cards uh, to write down a note of encouragement to Karen that we'll, we'll get to her by the end of the day. And then after each service... Uh, we're going to have uh, cake out in the commons and a chance to connect with her, but not just any cake. The best cake, Keys cake, Karen's favorite. So you definitely want to invite your friends to that, right? But that's going to be great. Um, so in light of that, uh, obviously uh, Karen stepping out of such an important role um, needs to be addressed um, and this has been something I've, I've known about for months and have been praying and uh, not only talking to Karen and staff about, but also the elders. And through that process, it became apparent to me that there, we already have somebody in our church family who would excel in this role. And, um, and so uh, not only is this person a part of our church family, but she's already on our staff. Uh, so we have extended an invitation to Krista, our kids ministry director, to transition into our bookkeeper role. If you know Krista, you know that she has a tremendous heart for the Lord, but she also has a lot of experience and expertise in uh, finance. And so um, she has been working with Karen over the last couple months uh, to uh, be prepared for this transition, and she's ready to begin that September 16th. Now, that begs to answer an obvious question, right? What happens to our kids' ministry? Uh, great question. Uh, the answer is um, a lot of wonderful things. So we are committed to not only our kids' ministry succeeding, but also thriving and growing over this next school year. And so we have three individuals. We have the, the most amazing volunteers 
just church-wide, but then with our kids' ministry for sure. Uh, but we have three individuals who have, uh, we've talked to, and they have agreed to stand in the gap over this, this transition period, people who are already involved in our kids' ministry, uh, to oversee, uh, to be paid to oversee three specific areas of our kids' ministry, the nursery, Sunday mornings, and Wednesday nights. So we're not going to skip a beat. It's going to be fantastic. Krista's still with us, and she'll be able to offer her assistance and expertise. And so we will then begin the process of looking for our next kids' ministry director. But here's, here's even uh, cooler news. We have been seeking to hire a next-gen pastor, and that next-gen pastor is going to oversee four areas. Uh, they're going to be obviously working with our middle school and high school students. They're also going to be overseeing our uh, volunteer leadership, uh, Buddy and Michelle, with the young adults. And then they're also going to be working with young families. And they're going to be overseeing our kids' ministry director as well. Um, this is an important position. It's something that I've been praying, and I know many of you and the elders have been praying about as well. Well, we, um, we put together a search committee team, and they've been meeting and interviewing, and uh, I'm happy to announce that they have decided on an individual that they are presenting to the elder board as their candidate. And that means the next process is the elder board this week is going to be um, interviewing this candidate, and if they approve, they will then be presenting it to the membership for vote, at which time the members will vote and will be able to then move forward with this amazing individual. So I'm excited that that's fleshing out, and I'm excited that it's happening at this point in light of what is certainly around the corner, and that is um, the school year in the fall. So um, I don't know about you, super depressed now when I'm walking into Hobby Lobby and there's already Christmas decorations up. Um, but that just reminds me the fall and Christmas and all that stuff is going to be here before we know it. So I'm excited um, about what's happening. Um, also, just to remind you that uh, two Sundays from now is our Back to Church Sunday, September 19th. You were given an invitation card. We're asking you each week to um, think about who you could give that to and be inviting those that are in your circle to this Sunday. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. Um, and also, uh, we're going to be, oh, we do have a video for that, don't we? Let's show that video really quick, that promo for Back to Church Sunday. Hope is here. It's your church joining together with thousands of other churches across the nation to reignite togetherness, re-engage our communities, and reach people with the hope of Jesus. Back to Church Sunday has been celebrated every fall for the past 12 years. It is a movement of Christ followers reaching every neighborhood to invite every person to a Bible-believing church where they can discover true community. But this year, after world-changing events have affected us all, something new is happening. It's time for the church to bring us together again in an unprecedented way. This is Hope's Comeback. Millions of people invited to a church near them and on September 19th, more people than ever before on one day will be introduced to Jesus, experience his hope, and connect with others. It's time to love again, serve again, and hope again. 
So that's going to be September 19th. It's going to be a great Sunday. I can't wait to be able to share that with you. And then the following Sunday, uh, we're going to begin a new series that I'm excited about. Uh, who has seen the series The Chosen yet? If you haven't seen this series, it's a crowdfunded TV show, meaning that there are no studios involved. It's, um, it, it's been without any of that tampering and influence, and uh, it is a series about the life of Jesus. Uh, there are two seasons out now, eight episodes each season. We're going to take eight weeks, starting September 26th, where we go through um, that first season of The Chosen. Uh, so we're going to be doing that together with uh, small groups and then diving into that during our services. Uh, we're going to have, um, hopefully we're going to be able to put together some viewing parties as well. So I can't wait to do that. It's going to be a great time together. Season one of The Chosen, September 26th. Thank you so much. One last thing, every uh, first Sunday of the month, we take time and we ask you to prayerfully consider giving to those who are in need of financial assistance. There are many in our church family here as well as in our community who are in that situation. And so as God feels led, we ask that you give uh, to that. There are ushers in the, uh, in the back as you leave. Thank you so much. God bless.